You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. And for us, that, that theater is, is like our home. Oh. Which is why, in conclusion, we, we humbly ask that you give us back our studio. It would certainly mean a lot to us. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that look at movies in a franchise one film at a time. Uh, we have a website over at SequelCast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. You can check out his stuff at markwithac.bandcamp.com. And uh, we have a special guest this episode to discuss the Muppets uh, 2011 film, Josh DeLon. Hey, uh, you're a co-host of the film podcast More Than One Lesson with Tyler Smith, and you also write uh, articles for Battleship Pretension. I do. That's me. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about some Muppets. Absolutely. There's uh, so many different Muppets to talk about, <laughs> as we'll find out. Um, <laughs> now, I'm, I was trying to think. Uh, Tyler Smith, we've had on the sequel cast, I think, about a year and a half ago to talk the uh, 89 Batman film. Oh, okay. Cool. And I knew he'd been on here. I wasn't sure what it was you guys had talked about. Yeah. and um, But... As I recall, when More Than One Lesson started, was it just uh, Tyler by himself? It was, yeah. For the first, uh, maybe about a year, I think, he, huh. he was just uh, just solo and then decided that uh, he liked kind of the dynamic of having two different people, which sure. was one of the things that a lot of people liked about Battleship Pretension, um, the other podcast that he, uh, he co-hosts. So um, he asked me if I would be interested in doing it, and I accepted it, and the rest is history. So what do you think it is about more than one lesson that makes it stand out from the zillions of movie podcasts that are out there? <laughs> well, it's it, the specific difference is that um, kind of the tagline for the show is that it's movie talk for the discerning Christian. So uh, it's got kind of a uh, – he and I are both outspoken Christians, and we like to, through the show, sort of present a movie that hopefully people have seen and kind of talk about – how we as Christians respond to that and what some of that, uh, uh, how some of our ideas either match up with the movie or maybe don't and maybe just differences that we have. And it, it's, uh, some people are afraid going into it that they're, they think it's going to be preachy or something like that. But, uh, we can assure you that it's not because most of our listeners actually, well, not most, but a, a surprising portion of our listeners are actually atheists and just like to get kind of a, a different perspective on it. So, it's, it's cool. We like to that lets us sort of talk about things in a really philosophical way, which ends up being kind of fun. Uh, has there ever been an episode um, where you've uh, co-hosted on 
where going into the show before you're recording it, you think, well, I don't think we'll get that much material out of this. And then when you're done, it sort of surprises you and makes you look at the film differently. Yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, we're expecting, we're going in thinking, oh, this is going to be a quick episode. And then, you know, we go like two hours or something like that. <laughs> um, not that it's a movie that there isn't anything to mine from either, but our Avengers episode went far longer than I expected. It was over two hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but we've got some good stuff to talk about. And, and we've had some good response. People said they like that one. Yeah, you know, a funny thing about the Avengers, uh, really quick before we jump into the Muppets uh, 2011 film, is um, my mom really enjoyed the Avengers, and she normally doesn't like comic book movies at all, and she had only seen Iron Man, but oh, was yeah. still able to watch the Avengers without getting too confused. And I asked her <laughs> afterwards, well, would you want to go and see Thor or Captain America? And she's like, nope, I have no interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, that speaks for the movie, that it's able to stand on its own without needing to have, have some kind of foreknowledge of those other characters. Right, I was wondering that myself. I mean, watching it, I was thinking if you had to say, oh, you have to watch this one movie before seeing the Avengers, if you're coming in cold, I'd have to say Thor, perhaps, mm-hmm. with all the Loki and stuff. That one I had seen, and I'd seen the two Iron Man movies, but I had not seen either Captain America or the Hulk, so I was, oh. I was a little bit blind on those storylines. Um, the Hulk has practically nothing to do with the Avengers, uh, or the, <laughs> movie, the movies, at least. Um, yeah, that's what I'm told. So... But I think you'd enjoy Captain America if you get around to watching it. I think I probably will look into that one. It's actually I, on Netflix Watch Instantly right now. You know, I, ju- I just saw that, actually. I saw yeah. that it just popped in there, so I'll, I'll have to do that. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, start talking about The Muppets. Uh, came out in 2011, directed by James Bobbin, who also worked on the TV show Flight of the Concords. Uh, written by Jason Siegel and Nicholas Stoller, based, of course, on the Muppets uh, TV show, kind of. And, um, yeah, that's about stars Jason Siegel, Amy Adams, and Chris Cooper, and Rashida Jones. So, um, were the Muppets something, uh, Josh, you were really familiar with as a kid growing up? I definitely was. I yeah. had seen, uh, I saw all of them when I was younger, all the movies, and then as new ones would come out, um, you know, we'd, we'd go to see the new ones. I remember going out to see um, up at Treasure Island and oh, Muppets yeah. from Space. And I remember when we had the, the treasured VHS of the Muppet Christmas Carol. That was, a, that was uh, something. So not only did I, I see a lot of the movies, but we did. I, I don't know if you have recorded on this yet or are going to, but we, my brother and sister and I used to watch the Muppet Babies as well, too. That was a big part of our childhood, so... Yeah, we've um we have an episode coming up where uh, talking about sort of like the the Muppet spin-offs mm-hmm. including the yeah. TV show or spin-offs isn't really the right word to use necessarily when this was a TV show to begin with, but right. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, we talked about Muppet Babies a bit. And yeah, for me Muppet Babies is, was my first exposure to the Muppets, that and Muppets Take <laughs> Manhattan and then I watched uh you know, the stuff in the theaters. Uh, sounds like a lot like you in that mm-hmm. respect. Um but coming into the Muppets, I think one thing I didn't have as much a connection to was that I was not that familiar with the Muppet live action TV show. Oh, really? Yeah, no. That's that's one that I I picked up more um, obviously on reruns because I was I was too young when it was first out or or wasn't born I guess <laughs> for most of it. <laughs> but uh, the I remember watching reruns of it on Nickelodeon or something like that and. Mm. I grew up on a lot of the uh, a lot of older shows because for for one thing my parents weren't crazy about a lot of the TV shows that were on at the time, 
And so, like, older stuff, you know, TV Land, you get your Bewitched, your Gilgan's yeah. Island, all that stuff. That was a lot of the TV that I was raised on. So then for me, it was fun to see some of those people that I knew from those shows show up in the Muppets as you know, the variety shows. So it was almost experiencing the, uh, the 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s, kind of as if they were happening now, <laughs> <laughs> which might explain my musical tastes. Right. Um, now, it reminded me, when I was a kid, I would watch uh, Nickelodeon had their Nick at Night package. And I forget mm-hmm. what was on at the time, but it was a lot of things like Bewitched, and uh, they would show the old uh, Looney Tunes stuff oh, yeah. on there as well. So that was my introduction to a lot of that. Um, and at, when I, I saw uh, this film, The Muppets, in the theater, and I was a bit surprised. To, well, not surprised, but I, I went in, and there was a lot of families with their kids and so forth. And mm-hmm. it seemed like the adults liked this movie a lot more than their kids did, because... <laughs> Uh, this Muppets uh, film from 2011, simply called The Muppets, if nothing else, is about nostalgia for The Muppets. Yeah. I was, that was almost, nostalgia was almost the star more than The Muppets in this one a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which would make sense so that, that, you know, these kids have no connection, no history with The Muppets necessarily. Uh, and if they don't, then a lot of this stuff about, isn't it sad that they're not together anymore? And like, isn't it exciting to to hear those old, songs or to you know see the familiar tropes of the muppets um that's fun to older audiences maybe but to younger audiences it, it could be completely lost on them right and i am uh, i'm pleased to see that it did well and that they're developing a sequel to it uh and i wonder what they'll do but i mean one thing about the movie starting off that it always throws me off and i don't know why it is is the character of walter who is a muppet brother of gary uh, and Gary played by Jason Siegel, and they don't explain why they're brothers and one is a Muppet, one is a human. You just have to accept that going in. There's something that uh, I always feel like with the Muppet movies, they do best in just steering away from making us wonder any like specifics about like, well, now how did how does it work this way? Like, I I kind of love the moments in uh, in Great Muppet Caper where Charles Grodin is kind of hitting on Miss Piggy, and it's yeah. just, we, we just accept that it's like it does not make any sense, but. Uh, he plays it off so well that you're just like, all right, yeah, this is a world where this sort of thing happens. But there, I, I did get kind of that same thing as you did, where I'm like, well, now why? What's the story with Walter? Like, what are their what do their parents look like? Like, what's what's the story there? Well, speaking of Charles Grodin, that reminds me of a. Uh, so you remember that movie, A Christmas Story, with the kid yes. with the BB gun? Did you know yes, they yes. did a sequel to that called like it's called A Summer Story or something like that, and it stars Charles Grodin as the dad, but like the cast is completely different. I've never heard of that movie. Yeah, I don't know if it ever came out on DVD. I'll have to send you a, a link to the IMDb or something. Like, wow. I, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but <laughs> does it is it somehow connected to the uh, to the guy who was sort of the brainchild for that? Yes, I know. And I think afterwards, PBS did some made-for-TV things based on some of his stories too, because you have they had the same um, the guy that wrote those stories. I don't recall his name doing the narration, just like he yeah. did in Christmas Story. Oh, okay, it was like Bob something. I want to say right. Uh, I don't know. I want to say Bob Barker, but I'm aware that that's incorrect. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not Bob Barker. Uh, <laughs> that's a Bob. Wait, no, Bob Clark is the director. Clark. That's the director of the film, but oh, that's uh, who I'm thinking of. Never mind. John Shepard was the author that did the narration. <laughs> I guess whatever. Okay. Uh, Got it. <laughs> back to talking. Uh, 
The Muppets. Um, had you seen Jason Siegel on much before this? Did you ever watch Freaks and Geeks or Undeclared, any of those TV shows? I, I've still never seen Undeclared, but I yeah. fairly recently have started to watch, excuse me, started to watch Freaks and Geeks, um, which I enjoy a, a great deal. And uh-huh. I've also seen him in uh, some of the more recent movies, like I Love You, Man, which I enjoyed. Yeah. And um, uh, something that is escaping my memory. I've seen most of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but not the whole thing because it was on TV. Um, but he's a comedic actor who I, I like a lot actually. Um, and I, I feel like he's, he's good cause he can do the like straight up silly, funny, like almost the Will Ferrell type funny stuff. But mm-hmm. he always seems to also have a, a, a personality to it that, uh, I think gives us more empathy with the character maybe than a lot of, than you might with say a Ron Burgundy. Yeah. He also kind of looks like a normal guy you'd see on the street Yeah, as well. And but also his humor, like it's it's certainly different than Seth Rogen, where it's not going for the stoner humor a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, yeah, and so, um, but I think he does a good job, sort of blending romantic comedy with funnier stuff in the same yeah. film. And you get a bit of that. And Amy Adams, I think, was so well cast. I can't think of Hillis that could have done because uh, she doesn't get a whole lot to do in this movie, but when she does, I think it works out well. Yeah, she does. She's uh, she's done well in sort of that uh, almost the live action Disney princess thing which is almost yeah. literally what, what Enchanted <laughs> is uh, yep. but she does it without it being too uh, too one dimensional right um, so when you think back when you uh, saw this movie uh, The Muppets is there something that jumped out for you as being wow I was really impressed by this scene or this musical number you know I did like uh I wonder how I would have reacted to the music in the film if I had not already known that it was Brett McKenzie, hmm. um, because I was a big fan of, the, of Flight of the Concords, and knowing that he had done that going in, uh, you can really see it in the songs, like some of the wordplay in the songs. Like I was talking to someone the other day just about the, the Man or Muppet song, like uh-huh. lines like, if I'm a Muppet, I'm a very manly Muppet, and just the kind of the kind of wordplay is very uh, Flight of the Concords-esque. So... I definitely enjoyed that, and I think he was a good pick. Um, and maybe he was a shoe in since James Bobbins the director, but um, I think he's a good pick because his music never takes itself too seriously, which I think is important for Muppet music. Right. No, it has to. The Muppets always have a sense of humor about themselves, and also in the music, it drives the story forward. Yeah. And, I mean, when I saw this in the theater, I. Uh, the one time I cried watching this was in the song Kermit had pictures in or pictures in my head or whatever it's called, where mm-hmm. he's going through when he sees the pictures of the Muppets, and that you see the poster for the movie. It's Muppets all over the damn place, <laughs> but the movie takes its time before introducing the Muppets in the film again, and so like as an audience, you almost feel like Kermit. Oh, I want the Muppets to get back together, and that it takes its time for the Muppets to uh, all join up. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, and that's kind of the the structure that they've done before of like. Uh, you know, like almost like in the original Muppet movie where they find the originally find each other and has kind of that same um, structure. Right. Even in Muppets take Manhattan, the Muppets all leave Kermit and they all have to come back together in the end. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly something they've done before. Um, I was doing some, you know, one thing in the, in this film is that Frank Oz did not return to do the voice of uh, Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear, Sam the Eagle, all those characters. Yeah, and I I don't 
I don't know too much about, and you might know a little bit more about why yeah. exactly he, he made that choice. I think he was saying he found this script kind of offensive and he didn't think the Muppets would argue that much with each other. And I, the other thing I also read is he was trying to get a Muppet movie off the ground himself. Oh, really? That was passed in favor of this, so maybe that has something to do with it. And I, and I did read in an interview, they were asking him what he thought of this a Muppet film, and he thought, well, the Muppets were too cute and cuddly. The Muppets need to be dangerous. Hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. I think this one is, is pretty respectful of what the Muppets were. And um, I, I think the sound alike for Miss Piggy is flawless, but Fozzie Bear, to me, is a little bit off. Yeah, that's what everyone I've talked to about. It says the same thing. Like, Fozzie doesn't sound exactly right. Um, and it's, you know, I, it could be a little bit of sour grapes maybe, but I, I, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of agree with some of the things that he said about it. Like, yeah. I, I did feel like the Muppets were a little literally Disney-fied. Um, mm-hmm. although I wondered, I wondered if the irony was lost on Disney that one of the plot points is that, uh, a big evil corporation is trying to <laughs> steal the Muppets' name and have yeah. uh, fake stand-ins play them. <laughs> uh, I wonder if if that just went over the heads of people at Disney or what. But um, I th- there were little things here and there where I felt like the tone wasn't necessarily what you might have expected from the original Muppets. I mean, there there certainly is once the Muppets in this film get together again. There isn't that much conflict except what you see between Miss Piggy and Kermit. Mm-hmm. And um, I did like those scenes between Kermit and, or not Kermit, uh, Kermit <laughs> and Miss Piggy. Well, that's what she'd call him. Yeah. Um, I did like the scenes between those two, but it also almost felt like something from a totally different movie. Like you could have had that same dialogue coming with two humans speaking about their failed relationship mm-hmm. and then trying to I... patch things up. And the feeling I got from that is that we're trying to do something with because Miss Piggy and Kermit are always sort of this on again, off again relationship. Right. I, it's almost as if the film the screenwriters had to come in and say, "All right, well, what stage are they at? They at now? They're the like been separated for a long time stage." And it's like, does it get too serious for Muppets? Like, is there a way we can make that funny? Do we just make it? And I think what they do is they make it a little funny, but they try to make it heartfelt but not too serious like nothing there's nothing about like a messy divorce and who got the you know custody of the children or something like right. that i'd be a little too much for uh, muppets i think i think so too um i mean if you ever get a chance to check out the dvd for this it has all these crazy deleted scenes of stuff they cut out lots of celebrity cameos and things oh yeah that's uh, that's pretty interesting um mm-hmm. and uh you know kind of as part of that a letdown. I like the movie as a whole. I'd like to say that up first, but a letdown for me is at the end. You know, you get the big uh, the Muppet telethon where they're trying to raise the money to save the theater, and Walter mm. wants to be on stage. He's scared to be on stage. He finally comes out, and his big thing is he can whistle. And I saw that. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> <laughs> and and why is that the, uh, yeah, the thing that, that pushes the money over the cliff? <laughs> um, although I was, <laughs> I had a personal pride moment when I listened to the whistling and I turned to my wife and I said, I think that's Andrew Bird. And it turned out I was correct. So I was, was proud Andrew of myself Bird? for that. He's a, an indie musician who incorporates whistling into a lot of his, of his music. Um, oh, okay. So that, I think that made that moment enjoyable for me. If I hadn't noticed that, I might've just been like, what, you know, what? And, and after that initial kind of fun of knowing that that's Andrew Bird for me, died down it is like well now why are why are people so excited about that 
Um, and that, that was another kind of feeling I had about the telethon in general was the general tone of the telethon seems to be that the Muppets are not actually talented or funny, <laughs> but just because we're, we don't know that Jack Black really has been kidnapped, everybody is kind of laughing at him talking about how bad they are. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah, and build, building up to the telethon is a big part of the plot. But when it happens, it's almost like the movie just sort of slams on the brakes and it's like, okay, we're going to try and redo what the old TV show did for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I, I, I almost wish there... I, I feel like it'll, it would be more in keeping with the nostalgia, too, to do some sort of thing where suddenly everybody's like, this, this you know, we love this. Why have we, why have we let this go astray? You know, why have we let ourselves forget about this? And... It's not really. It's almost more that the, the success of the telethon is, is kind of a fluke. Although I do mm-hmm. love the moment when it turns out that they never had as much money as they thought. It, that, that was a real good Muppet moment to me where they, <laughs> they hit the sign and it's like, oh, we had like 10% of the money we had. And like, we weren't even close. When then at the end, they're able to uh, kind of solve it without explaining why. And you're like, oh, it's the Muppets. We can. It's all right. <laughs> we can do a song yeah. dance number and end with a big smile. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny, but uh, you're right. You think there's, even though it shows them going out of the theater and people on the streets are going crazy, you don't get much of an opinion of, of what the audience thinks in The Muppets other than Zach Galifianakis in a cameo as a hobo. <laughs> uh, just Which I quite enjoyed. I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, when, especially when he's the only one in the audience and he, he says something like, what am I, chopped liver? Like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a good moment. I'd be curious to see what some of the uh, other celebrity cameos that cameos that were cut out were because that was always a fun part of of the Muppets for me. Yeah, one big. I mean, I think most of what was cut out is on the delete. There's like about 20 minutes worth of deleted scenes in the DVD, which is a lot for a, a kids movie. Uh, so, but there is basically a subplot where they're trying to figure out how to get celebrity people to show up on the show. So the Muppets hold a fake Oscar ceremony. And they get people like Ricky Gervais and uh, Kathy Griffin and Billy Crystal. Um, and then they get arrested for putting on a fake Oscars ceremony. And Wanda <laughs> Sykes is uh, kind of the jail keeper. And Walter somehow gets money to let them out. And Danny Trejo is in prison with them. <laughs> so it's a lot of very funny stuff. I'm not. Um, I listened to an interview Jason Siegel did on. God, I want to say it's the Creative Screenwriting Podcast, but I think that turned into something else recently. Hmm. Uh, but anyhow, he was saying that they cut a lot of Disney cut a lot of stuff out of the movie for length because hmm. kids' movies are typically shorter. This one's 103 minutes, which I don't think it felt long, but it would have been no. A big part of the Muppet movies is cameos, and you don't get that many in this one. And you look yeah. at all the stuff they cut out, you feel a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Uh, hmm. And it seems like. You know, it could be that it just wasn't written so much with that in mind because there are scenes yeah. with maybe – there aren't a whole lot of scenes where you have a minor character that comes in and does a little thing. Like the, the Donald Glover cameo, that's one that you know, reminds me of the old ones because it's, it's a minor character who has very little to do. But he just, mm. it's like, oh, it's a famous person who showed up to do something kind of funny. And Yeah, it's know, not a famous person playing themselves as a famous yeah. person. Right. Yeah, which I, I I think those are some of my favorite ones where they don't play themselves. Like uh, Mel Brooks is the crazy scientist or the crazy <laughs> scientist or whatever he is. Yeah, and uh, Steve Martin as the waiter in the first one. Like those are 
Those are some of my favorites. Were you pleased when they uh, redid Rainbow Connection in this film? I think I was, yeah. yeah. Like, there, there's a... Especially, again, playing off the nostalgia so much that I feel like they, they almost have to. Right. <laughs> and that's that's... I was just talking with someone recently about how that is such a good... That's such a good song, I think, because I remember hearing it when I was a kid and thinking, oh, I love this song, and... I have the same reaction today, and I feel like a song that I can enjoy to the same degree, you know, when I was a kid and now that I'm an adult over a 10-year span, I think that really says something for the song. Um, so it's, it is it is nice when that comes back in, and that's I think that's my favorite reuniting moment of all of them when they all come on for that. And it's nice that they don't tell you that they're going to perform that as part of the telethon. Right. You know uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy are set to do something. Mm-hmm. But then you see it's the rainbow connection, and then oh, animal gets to play the drums again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a real nice moment. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about Chris Cooper as Tex Richmond? I th- I thought it was funny. I-, I liked that they never specifically mentioned the fact that he can't laugh. I think, or maybe smile. Like he just does. He just says maniacal laugh, and after a while, <laughs> you're like, oh, I guess that's all he can do. I feel like there's a chance, depending on how it's done, that I might like the sequel more than yeah. than this film because the nostalgia is it's fun and all, but to me, I think I want there to be more of it. Like I want to see the Muppets doing the things that I like to see the Muppets do, rather than think back and like, oh, wasn't that great when we saw this or when we saw that, or wasn't it great when this used to happen? It's like I just, you can make more of it, just do it more, <laughs> and. So the idea that there might be a film where they're they're not they don't really have to harken back to that stuff anymore. Uh, I'd be interested to see what they do with that. All right, there's very little information right now about it, except it'll have the same director, James Bobbin. I think Brett McKenzie's back for the sequel, but they haven't really. Uh, and then Jason Siegel said he's not going to be in the sequel, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, none of the Muppet movies really have continuity as far as that thing goes. Yeah. So it'll, it, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, what did you think about in the 90s with the uh, Muppet Christmas Carol in Treasure Island where they did Muppet movies that were sort of takeoffs on uh, classic literature? <laughs> it's a, it seems like a weird direction to take. Like I wonder what the meeting was that, where that decision was made. Um, uh, but, I mean, I remember enjoying those movies, and I think – uh, I think they worked. So, I don't know. I, I think I liked The Christmas Carol more than Treasure Island so much. But, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a... It gives them a chance to to sort of be in these different, uh, different settings and locations and such. Because if the Muppets are just being themselves, quote-unquote, uh... They have to, you know, like put on a show or something like that. Like it, right. it, it could start. So, the idea that you get to transplant them into, you know, England in the eighteen hundreds or to a desert island or whatever is, is, I don't know. I think it's kind of a fun idea, and when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, it's, it can be boring. <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, the the take of having the Muppets do a, a story about a classic literature story is it gives more of a plot which typically a Muppet film doesn't have mm-hmm. that much of. It's more of a series of sketches to get to some final goal. 
Yeah. Is there anything else stick out to you with this uh, Muppets film? Um, we've talked about a lot of the things that I particularly was yeah. had thoughts about. I feel like there was something else. I, I did, I did like the Dave Grohl cameo where he shows up in the Muppets. That was <laughs> that was fun. And I even I turned to my wife and I was like, I think that's Dave Grohl, but he just, he doesn't even say anything. He like you get one kind of single of him, and then the rest he's just in the background. But that's him. So I wonder, I wonder if he. Uh, yeah. I always wonder how people are approached for these things, or maybe they find out about it beforehand and say, "Oh, I want to be in the Muppet movie" because they have a, a, a you know connection to it or some kind of. If if it was like for you and me, something that we grew up with, I can understand how it would be fun to be in something which is kind of a uh, an institution almost. Now. Another thing I was going to ask, maybe you know more about this than I know, is I, when I first heard that it was just Brett McKenzie doing the music for the Muppets, I was curious what happened to Jermaine and whether there's a reason that they weren't working together on this one. And maybe you, maybe you know more about that than I do. You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I'm not sure why that's the case. I know Jermaine uh, Clement, the other main lead from Flight of the Concords, uh, has certainly been acting in a lot more like Hollywood stuff lately. I mean, Men, yeah. Men in Black Three was a pretty big film, mm. and he was yeah. doing these kind of independent uh, film. Um, uh, what Shark versus Eagle? I think was something he was in. Yeah, he did that one, which I still haven't seen. Which is a kind of a. It's not great, but it's amusing. I don't know. It's funny enough, but. Um, mm. And I I liked him in a movie that almost no one else likes, which was Gentleman Broncos. I enjoyed that movie. I really liked that too. You know, I mean, did you? I, and I did not like Napoleon Dynamite, but I liked Gentleman Broncos. And I under, I mean, he, God, any anything um, that director does is certainly very strange, and you're either, yeah. and it's very divisive. You're either going to love it or hate it. Yeah. But I, I just really liked, especially the sequences with Sam Rockwell, where they told these sort of alternate versions of the same story, interspersed yeah. throughout. Those were those were some good some good moments and and him as the you know the hack writer sort of in yes. that I love the one where he's trying <laughs> to teach the the kids how to do troll names and the one kid has a troll named Cupcake or something and he's like <laughs> no that's a name a little girl would give a troll with Traginus. <laughs> I mean Jermaine Clement's voice is so amazing I would just love to see him star in something with Alan Rickman have something very similar with their voices between the two of them. They can have a voice off. A voice off, right? The I mean, a thick nasally. Well, one's British and one's New Zealandish. That's not how it goes. But anyway, <laughs> right? I think overall, I'd recommend people watch the Muppets. I think the more history you have with the Muppets, the better it, it is. And mm. uh, and the songs in particular are fantastic. I, I think it's a bit strange they do. Uh, we built this city to rock and roll. Uh, a pop song. <laughs> As a, right. to a building montage, <laughs> I almost, I almost forgot about that. There, I, I think they're kind of specifically cornering a lot of the the '80s nostalgia, and that's why yeah. there's things like the '80s robot, uh, the like '80s looking Mercedes Benz, and the, a lot of the songs that come in are are '80s songs, like "We Built the City." Or I think the first time they're driving in the car, you hear Gary Newman's cars playing yep. in the yep. in the speakers, which is which is fun. 
Um, I'm always interested when they introduce a new Muppet to a, to a movie. So the I, I don't know if the '80s robot is going to be a or am I has that been around before? That's the first time we've seen that you one. You know, right? I don't think so. And I I'm really questioning whether you can call it a Muppet or not. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see '80s robot come back. You know, yeah. would you have a '90s robot next? I have no idea what that would mean. Uh, yeah, so that was would fun. You, would you recommend the Muppets? I think as a whole, yes. I, I think there's a lot of funny parts to it. Um, and it it has a lot of those like little details here and there that are almost like throwaway things but are but are funny if you're paying attention. Um, and I love it any time a movie does does little kind of inside jokes like that here and there. Um, and there's been there's been talk too of how it sticks to that sort of meta quality that the Muppets are playing themselves as people and there's like references to the fact that they're not exactly people but we all accept that but <laughs> um it's got a lot of those interesting layers of of uh accepting uh, about the conventions of not only movies but muppet movies specifically no i agree i think those are all really good points um what is something you'll be speaking about coming up on more than one lesson uh, more than one lesson. Well, we'll just to and for those who don't know about the uh, the structure, what we generally do is we take a uh, a new newer movies, uh, hopefully, and then we kind of compare and contrast some of the themes with uh, an older movie. And um, it's like the last one that we recorded, which uh, by the time this comes up will be the uh, second or third one back. But we did uh, a series on Crash and Do the Right Thing. Um, and kind of the differences between those and the things that has to say about racial issues. And so the next, the I believe the one that will be up once this episode airs or drops or whatever you say, um, will be on the film Take Shelter, and mm-hmm. we will uh, we will keep secret the companion film until you actually actually listen. So. Oh, very good. I've seen the trailer for Take Shelter. It looks really interesting. I have not uh, gotten around to seeing it yet. Yeah, it's actually it is a it's a fantastic film. One of my favorites of last year. Sure. Um, yeah, I think one movie that's coming out that I'm looking forward to is The Master. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, that's the more I hear about that, the more it sounds fascinating. And I, I, I actually heard that just a few nights ago here in. Uh, here in LA, they there was a screening of The Shining at a at a local theater that likes to show a lot of classic and and uh, classic foreign whatever movies. And not only was Paul Thomas Anderson in attendance at the movie, but afterwards they made an announcement and said, "If anyone would like to stick around, we're going to screen The Master." So there's a audience full of lucky people who've gotten to see it in LA already. No, that's that's pretty interesting. There's a lot of preview well, a lot of you know sneak peek reviews that have popped up that make it sound really interesting i mean i saw the um oh there will be blood i saw that in the theater and by mm-hmm. the end i just felt like pummeled like i got punched in the face <laughs> and that it's just yeah. so much to take in uh, paul thomas anderson's films you just get so much more after watching them several times yeah and i mean this one is one that has that same kind of intensity yeah. and gravitas Right. Well, it's a good thing, you know, for the Shining screening, they didn't 
do a switcheroo and decide to show the Shining miniseries with Steven Weber <laughs> instead. That would be a disappointment to most. <laughs> Although there are some people who say they think that one's great, and I think... I, I could be mistaken in this, but I think that Stephen King says that's the version that he likes better. It, it is. Stephen King really complained about the Stanley Kubrick The Shining at the time because... Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I've seen the Steven Weber one. It's it's okay. I think it's especially good before they get to the house, which is yeah. a weird thing to say, but it deals with <laughs> him being an alcoholic and all these, and he beats his kid and all these things. Um, yeah. But it's just Jack Nicholson, Stanley Kubrick. Those shoes are impossible to fill. Yeah, really. I don't care and if the- you're Steven Weber or Mick Garris. I don't care if you're <laughs> whoever it is. I don't know. You just, some stuff you just can't touch. Yeah, and I, I understand how, I guess, Stephen King says that it's not, the Kubrick film isn't as faithful to his story, but <laughs> you just want to go, come on, man, the movie's so good, you've got to be okay with him taking a little bit of liberty. <laughs> I don't know. Because I feel like no matter who you are, probably if Stanley Kubrick adapted some of your work, it's, it's not really going to be what you thought it was originally. Um, but he always seems to make something amazing out of it, so... Or seemed. Well, when you look at the gazillion Stephen King films that have been made, The Shining is certainly in the top three, if not the top two or whatever. Right? I mean, it's like one of the the best ones over time. Um, I think it's interesting as an exercise they got to make that TV miniseries that almost never got made because they couldn't find an actor for the lead. Really? Yeah, because just Jack Nicholson was such a big specter in everyone's mind. Yeah, I guess so. Nobody wants to to fill those shoes, like you said. Well, uh, Josh, thank you very much for being on the sequel cast. This has been a real treat, discussing The Muppets and The Shining and whatever else we discussed. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been oh, fun. Oh, no problem. And you can check out uh, Josh, along with Tyler, over at More Than One Lesson at morethanonelesson.com. And you can read some of Josh's articles at Battleship Pretension at uh, battleshippretension.com. You can. And so. you can also, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am the Josh Long, uh, at the Josh Long, I guess. Very good. And uh, I guess one last thing. Are you you're involved with this thing called The Unemployed Mind? Yes, I am. There's a, uh, a web series that I co-wrote and directed called The Unemployed Mind. And we have just finished up the uh, principal photography, I guess. And that will hopefully be showing up on the Internet within the next couple months we're aiming for. Um, it's a story about two unemployed bachelors trying to trying to make ends meet and they take any crazy job that they can to 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 get that get that money <laughs> so where where can people catch that when that comes out um in a few months like you said you'll be find that at uh i can never remember it's either the unemployedmind.com or unemployedmind.com i, I should have had that at the ready but uh it's one of those two if it if it works with the the then you're good. If not, take out the the. Right. Well, thanks again, Josh, for being on the sequel cast. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, we should mention uh, this film came out in 2011. The movie before this, Muppets from Space, was what, 99? Uh, something along those lines. 98, 99. So it's been over a decade since the last Muppet movie. Uh, when did you first see this new film that's simply called The Muppets, somewhat confusingly? I saw this in the theaters, I think, the th- early on in the third week of its release. Not for lack of trying, it's just 
it was impossible. It came out when it was like impossible for me to just get to the movies. And the whole reason I was able to see it, uh, I had to drive into Lexington for a day to take care of a, a handful of things uh, shortly after my move out to Frankfurt. Uh, just, you know, a couple of lingering responsibilities in town. And saw that there was a matinee showing and was like, well, hell, I'm just going to watch this movie. Uh I I'd been I'd been really wanting to see it for 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 quite a while and I was not let down. Did you know it premiered at a mystery screening at the 2011 Savannah Film Festival? That is what yeah, I heard. I yes. That's interesting. I mean, uh, uh, Thrasher and I are alumni of Savannah College Art and Design, and the Savannah. You say alumni, others might say survivors. Uh... We're not dropouts. We had degrees. That's more than you can say with a lot of people that have been to that school, I guess. Uh, I suppose so. Yeah. I don't think that's an inaccurate statement. I don't know. It's expensive. No, it's uh, no. I just like to whip a weird spin on things. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah for me, I saw it you know, not the first weekend. A week or two after it came out, my wife and I were doing a whole bunch of Christmas shopping at the time, getting gifts for people. And this was playing... Uh, so in Portland, Oregon, uh, the big movie theater we tend to go to sometimes is at a mall called Lloyd Center. And it, they have both a uh, a movie theater inside the mall that's smaller, where it's shoebox theaters, and they have a bigger one outside of the mall, but they're both owned by Regal Cinemas. And uh, uh, even though it had only been out a week or two, uh, when we saw the Muppets, it was in one of the shoebox theaters inside the mall. So uh, we went, and the audience, you know, was a lot of, uh, my wife and I don't have kids, but, you know, a lot of families with their kids. And I seem to think the older people, the the parents seem to like this movie a lot more than their children, who probably didn't even know who the Muppets were, necessarily. That's the vibe I got when I saw it in the theater. You know, I, I, can, I can totally see where you're, where you're coming from, and like, thinking, like, thinking about it, this is probably the only, this is probably the only film that I think I've ever seen that seems to be specifically speaking to adults of my generation. Right. I mean, you look at the Muppets, it has something in common with, like, Tron Legacy, and that, in a way, it's almost all about nostalgia. I, I'm i not going to say it's a, a, a... Well, you know what? Now that I think about it, no, it is, it is in part an exploration of nostalgia, but it's also about renewal. Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. Hi, we're Ellen, Stephen, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one-hour game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your wherever you get to your podcast you get there <laughs> or at nicegames.club right and how do you st- i mean the muppets as we've covered in these several episodes we've done on the various uh, muppet theatrical movies you can check those all out at sequelcast.com or just look up sequelcast on itunes is that the muppets are very meta meta that's a better way to pronounce that not meta <laughs> sounds like paula dean yeah, and uh, you look at this, and the way this was, uh, the movie was developed, it was a bit interesting in that Disney had just officially recently gotten the the rights to all the Muppet stuff at this time. They were looking to do something, kind of, but didn't quite know how to bring the Muppets back. 
and uh, star and co-writer Jason Siegel had done a, uh, a romantic uh, comedy movie uh, set in Hawaii. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Thank you, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And in that, he has a segment where his character writes and uh, performs in a, a Muppet musical about the, the life of Dracula. Oh, it's so it's awesome. Cool. And, and to do the Muppet stuff in that, he worked with the actual Mu- Jim Henson workshop. And that made him think of how much like the Muppets as a kid, and he kind of used that clout to pitch the idea of a Muppet movie, a new Muppet movie called The Muppets, about a guy uh, about you know to try to bring it back to a new generation. And it took a while, but it, it did. It took a few years, but it did get made, and um, you know with a with a lower budget and that sort of a thing. And uh, the Muppets, this 2011 film, is what they came up with. And uh, so I've only seen this film twice so far, but I've listened to the soundtrack uh, dozens of times. And I, I think yeah. it's really well done. And it, it does... I, I think one thing for me, though, since I grew up with the Muppets, uh, mainly with the Muppet Take Manhattan movie and with Muppet Babies, I don't have that much of a fondness, uh, or I didn't grow up, at least, with the live-action, you know, the Muppet show. And so I wasn't... Uh, that that stuff didn't mean as much to me as someone that would have grown up watching that series, I think, going into this film. Yeah, I can say it, it meant a hell of a lot Did to it? me. Okay. Yeah, I, I this this movie was everything I could have wanted more. No, I, I'm not saying I hated the movie. I really like the movie. Oh no, I don't. I don't think yeah. you did. But but I had exactly the kind of connection with the source material the material that you're saying you didn't. Have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so the premise of the movie I think is one of the weaker things about it. That Walter, played by Jason Segel, or no, sorry. Gary, played by Walter, by Jason Siegel, uh, has a brother that happens to be a Muppet called Walter. And they don't really explain why a human and a Muppet happen to be brothers. You just have to go with it. In earlier drafts of the script, um, Jason Siegel's character was a ventriloquist, and his his dummy puppet came to life and became a Muppet. I, I I like the touch of absurdity that, that they're both related. And I love that they never address it. Like, I love that there's, there's like, never a photo of their parents and it's, like, a human and a Muppet. I like that that's... Because that, in, in, in this world populated by people, but also by dogs and frogs and bears and whatever, yeah, yeah, man and a Muppet can be related. I am just not a fan in general of Muppets that look like humans in design, with the exception of Statler and Waldorf. Really, what do, you, what do you think about the Electric Mayhem? They're more exaggerated. And, I mean, Walter does not look like a real-life human by any means. But, I, I don't know. I just think it's... I, I like the more creativity of these sort of monsters and animal weird combinations in a Muppet form. I'm thinking of things like Labyrinth, some of the creatures in there. Uh, I don't know. I... I gotta say, I, li- I like Walter. I, I like how how bland and down to earth the his design is. I mean, that's a very redeeming quality. I think, and it's also nice that um, Walter doesn't have a celebrity voice. I believe at one point they were thinking of Seth Rogen as his voice or something, um, which mm. ended up not being the case. I think it's it's good. You kind of buy into him a bit more that he has a very uh, he sounds like the hero of, like, uh, a Disney cartoon or something from the 60s. It's just very, like, oh, gee, I really like the Muppets. And, and we're going to go and we're going to help him put on a show, guys. Come on. 
But that's that's what the Muppets are always yes. about. They're always about putting. Them and he's show. a character. More importantly, that's a fan of the Muppets, like the audience, like you know, presumably like the audience, and it deals with how um, how do you make a phenomenon, phenomena uh, come back? You know, when it's been away for so long, what is it? What does it even mean anymore? Uh, and yet, it still does it with. It's kind of a road movie at points, but not really. And you do have celebrity cameos, although they cut a whole lot of them out of the movie. The DVD and Blu-ray is packed with like half an hour of deleted scenes. Yeah, I heard there was a lot of a lot of cut. We'll talk about that later. Like yeah, that. but 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 the th- I guess the thing is like the, the the Muppets do mean so much to so many entertainers, and so many entertainers ha- already have an established history with the Muppets. When this movie entered production, they must have been constantly getting phone calls from actors and entertainers and agents. I bet everybody wanted to be in this movie somehow. I think so. You would think so. Um, not to mention a lot of you know famous actors now have kids who and they want to see their parents in a family movie. Uh, but it should be mentioned the director of this is James Bobbin. The uh, the music, um, oh, plop plop plop. The score. was done by um anyway James Bobbin the director and the guy that did the score uh so Brett McKenzie uh, from Flight Right of the yeah both of them worked on Flight of the Concords and uh and you can tell in some of the songs I think and it's a uh, it's a pretty good choice um you know aside from Jason Segel the movie stars Amy Adams uh, Chris Cooper is the bad guy and um Jack Black is the hostage. Jack Black as the hostage. He's probably the major celebrity cameo in this movie. I would. Well, no, I, no? It's, it's more. It's more than a cameo with him. He he plays a, a key role in the movie. But I love the casting in this. The casting was dead on. Well, I think before that we should do with what we've done to to talk about these prior Muppet films. We've talked about on the sequel cast. It's uh, over half a dozen at this point. Um, what do you think about the songs of this movie? I, I remember reading interviews with Brett McKenzie, and he said he specifically watched the first three Muppet movies, uh, meaning the Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper, and Muppets Take Manhattan, over and over again, and just listening to the soundtracks to get a feel of what classic Muppet musical numbers sound like, to try and get a formula down. They're, the music is fantastic. There's a, a tremendous variety in the style of music. The songs are the songs all have a, have a lot of heart, display a lot of creativity, a lot of cleverness, and gosh darn it, the songs actually serve to move the m- movie forward. They do, and uh, even though the the song of this movie that won the Academy Award for Best Original Song uh, was "Man or Muppet." I think I like the opening number better, Life's a Happy Song. Or even Pictures in My Head, where the Kermit sort of lament as he goes through his uh, dingy uh, remains of a house that he lives in by himself. Um, I like that it has a lot of original songs. There also is some songs from the original Muppet movie, and even a callback to the song Together Again from The Muppets Take Manhattan, where they've seen a verse or two. Well, I mean the big, I mean the big, the big moment is is at the is towards the the climax of the movie when one by one the Muppets come out and they do uh, they do Rainbow Connection. That is such a that's such a powerful moment. And I'm, and I'm not the first person to say this, but when when that number really gets going, you start to tear up and you really start to feel it. 
I did well up during that number, but that's not when I cried uh, when I watched it, the Muppets 2011 film. Um, what uh, made me cry was in the beginning. You know, it, it, it takes a while before you get to see all the Muppets, uh, the Muppet team back together in this film. And I think that's kind of a wise decision. You're kind of building up to that. And you feel the expectation of seeing the Muppets along with uh, the characters Walter and Gary and Mary. And uh, they, they, see, they get to Kermit the Frog's mansion and they talk to him and they say, oh, we need you to get the Muppets back together because if you don't, then uh, the villain Tex Richman is going to go and demolish the Muppet stage because there's an oil well underneath. And they have to raise X amount of dollars to save it. I don't... And that's all because of a clause buried in the standard <laughs> rich and famous contract that Kermit signed in the first movie. Yeah, I know. That, that's a great callback. And uh, in the song Pictures in My Head, um, it's just Kermit going through the, the hallway, looking around at, at pictures of uh, paintings of members of the Muppets like uh, Gonzo and Miss Piggy and uh, Swedish Chef gets his own one, which is a bit strange. <laughs> and uh, he's a classic. yeah, he, well, he's a classic, but there's not that much. There's never been that much to Swedish Chef, and so I mean, but you get this sort of very touching kind of kind of song about the theme of the film, which is the Muppets have to get back together. Don't we all miss the Muppets? And it, uh, and you see these paintings kind of come to life, and to me, that was a real moving, magical moment because uh, at the time I'd seen the Muppets in the theater in 2011, I had not seen the Muppets on the big screen since uh, seeing Muppet's Christmas Carol in uh, 1996 um, or whatever that was, 97, 96. So I hadn't seen the Muppets on the big screen in almost 15 years at that time. So... It does It does kind of does kind of hit you. Although, I, I, uh, two things I do, I do have to go over. One... I, I love the whole the whole thing about how Tex, Tex Richmond is trying to get to an to an oil field under the theater because it's just like it's it's the perfect sort of satire of like late lazy plots in movies where like I, and I've ranted about this before we have to save blank from the blank developer it's like the the perfect kind of it's such a it's such a weird thing it's such a send up of that kind of lazy lazy screenwriting. But the other thing is when we get when uh, when when Gary, Mary, and Walter get to Kermit's mansion, we are introduced to the awesomest new Muppet in the past ten years: '80s robot. <laughs> I don't know if you call him a Muppet. I love '80s robot in every conceivable way. I don't know if you call him a Muppet, but yeah, I mean, he looks. He's a Muppet. Okay, he looks like he's a Muppet robot. He looks like from the 80s. he looks like the robot from Rocky Four. He also looks like the uh, Nintendo Entertainment accessory called ROB. Two relics from the yeah. 80s. And, uh, no, a very classic. And the jokes are very 80s. And it also is just a joke that his design is what we thought the future would look like. But as far as moving around and stuff, it's very impractical. Well, like, I, I love it. Like, I love that they can mine humor from nostalgia of what the 80s thought the future would be. You even have a joke and about just, the sound of a dial-up modem connecting. I love network. that. Like I, <laughs> I could they they hold on that noise for so long. I could not stop cracking up, and neither could all the older people in the audience. It was. Awesome. And yet, I think in real life, those noises would go on even longer. I had an external twenty-eight point eight baud modem. Uh, Classic. 
I think it was a Hayes was the brand, and uh, it took maybe two minutes to connect to my you know little local dial-up internet connection with all the noises it would make. <laughs> oh man, those were the days, weren't they? Yeah, where uh, you had a limit a bandwidth of uh, twenty megabytes per month is what I had. And you're like, hmm, am I going to download that five megabyte download? Because what if it cancels halfway through? Then I've used up my bandwidth. <laughs> and now, you know, on a cell phone plan, your bandwidth is two gigabytes, which is, what, a thousand times more than 20 megabytes? I don't know. It's a lot. Well, te- technology progresses, you know. It has absolutely progressed a hell of a lot, certainly. And uh, I, I, was, I was reading uh, an interview with uh, Jason Siegel, uh, the writer in co-writer and star of the movie uh did he was saying in an early draft of the script the reveal at the end is that tick uh, tex richmond is actually kermit the frog in a human suit and he set it all up just to get the muppets back together <laughs> but that was tossed that, out as being too weird well i don't think that's too weird i think that's brilliant but at the same time Kermit is not that kind of manipulator. I could see Gonzo pulling a crazy scheme like that and then kind of getting too trapped in the role of Tex Richmond. But but Kermit is, is too is too earnest uh, to resort to cheap trickery. But he was talking about, could you imagine the scene where uh, Chris Cooper all of a sudden starts looking a bit muppety and a zipper unzips him and Kermit the Frog steps out of him? <laughs> So. That would be great. Yeah, no, I would pay to see that. I, I want them to film that scene just so they can put it on a special edition of the DVD. I wish. Uh, Chris Cooper, you know, one of the main reasons he took the role is because he got to sing a rap song. He really wanted to do that in the movie. Oh, <laughs> the Tex Richmond rap was And perfect. the deleted scene and the soundtrack has a version of the song that's three times longer that goes into the backstory of why his character can't laugh. And it's huh. because when he was a Tex Witcherman was a child, the Muppets performed at his birthday party, and everyone laughed at the Muppets, and he did not think the Muppets were funny. And because of that, he couldn't laugh instead of, uh, you know, when he had to laugh, he just would say a maniacal laugh. Because That's he hated the Muppets gag. so much. And with that taken out of the movie, you have this running gag of him going, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. Yeah, and then his henchmen would start would laughing, start laughing the, including Bobo the Bear, who's great. Bobo the <laughs> Bear and, and Uncle Deadly, finally in a starring now, role. Now, Uncle Deadly, is he from that the Muppet uh, Tonight from the 90s? No, well, no, Uncle Deadly's been a Muppet for a while. I Like Gonzo, I believe he first appeared as just an anonymous monster in the Great Santa Claus Switch. But he uh, he made numerous appearances uh, on the Muppet Show. Uh, there's a great episode hosted by Vincent Price that Uncle Deadly gets a lot of uh, is featured a lot in. Remember, he's also a blind. If I remember correctly, he's he's also blind Pew in uh, Muppets Treasure Island, isn't he? Maybe if he he has a big costume on, it's tougher to make out. He doesn't look as dragony. Oh no, I'm sorry. That wasn't Uncle Deadly. That was a uh, that was a more dragony Muppet. But no, he's uh, Uncle Deadly. Uncle Deadly is appears in uh, a lot of Muppet uh, a lot of Muppet TV shows. Whenever they needed sort of a creepy monstery guy, it would be him. And has he always had that accent, the kind of posh? Uh, he, he he can do. He, he's a Muppet that can that can play many roles and can do many different character voices. I see. Okay. Um... No, I think he's good. I really like the scene early on. It's a exposition scene with Statler, Waldorf, Tex Richmond, and his cronies. 
and uh, and Bobo the bear is one of the security guards. After uh, Statler, and, Statler and Waldorf talk, he says, "Oh, I, I love that. Ger- that's a little bit of geriatric humor." And it's just all the asides of Bobo were just really funny. They're very dry. Uh, yeah. Stuff going on. So, um, did you notice much in this film that Frank Oz, who was the performer and voice of like Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear and Sam the Eagle, among so many others, is not in this film? He turned it down. Uh, yes, he, he. Yes, uh, his his presence was missed. That being said, the the Muppet performers that 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 bring his characters to life. They do justice to those characters. Uh, that being said, the person who does Fozzie does a perfect Fozzie, except in the quieter moments. In the quieter moments, Fozzie's voice kind of cracks and breaks. I would agree, and it turns out, that, you know, Eric perfect. Jacobson is the performer, and he actually did Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Sam the Eagle, Animal, um, a lot of the Frank Oz parts. Uh, you know, stuff that was originally played by Frank Oz. And the Miss Piggy, I think, is flawless. But Fozzie Bear isn't quite there, and Fozzie Bear looks a bit different, and I thought Gonzo looked a little bit different, too. Oh, that's the other thing I like. I, I, liked, I like that we get to see what all the Muppets have been doing uh, since uh, since they kind of faded from the public eye. I love the joke. Yeah, with, I like uh, that Gonzo has got, gotten back into plumbing and runs that, that plumbing warehouse. I love Miss Piggy as the plus-sized editor for Vogue. Uh I, I love I love Fozzie Fozzie's uh, shitty lounge act. Yeah, with the moopets. Oh, with the moopets. That's the other awesome addition to this movie: the, the moopets, edgy, cynical characters for an edgy, <laughs> cynical age. And it's funny you mentioned the edgy stuff in a recent uh, newspaper interview. Frank Oz, they were asking him, "Well, have you seen the new Muppets film? What did you think of it?" And Frank Oz is like, "Well, I don't want to speak so." I don't want to speak badly if I don't have to, but I, I think the new Muppets film, the Muppets are too cute and cuddly. They need to be more edgy. And well, I mean, the whole movie uh, is, is full of warm fuzzies with the whole nostalgia angle. And that in a way, you know, it it is a reboot and that it's trying to reintroduce all these characters to a modern audience. And... I mean, the plot isn't as off the wall as it could be, but I think it's 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 what works for trying to, you know, restart the Muppets over again. And you could go any number of places from here for the sequel, which is in development. Huh. I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I think, I think this this movie be, because of the 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 themes of nostalgia and renewal. I think this movie has to be a little bit softer and a little bit sweeter than you might get in a typical Muppet movie. That being said, now that all the pieces are on the board, the Muppets can truly go nuts in their next feature. Hmm. Right. I, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what they do for the sequel, which as of now is just called The Muppets 2. I imagine they'll be changing that name when it the movie comes out, but it's still... I think they're still scripting it. I don't think they even have announced a cast or anything. I'm I'm sure it'll be pretty. I'm sure it'll. I, I'm looking well, flat out. I'm looking forward to sure. whatever whatever form it takes. Um, so a big part of the film is Walter, the Muppet brother of Gary. Uh, you know, uh, it always felt kinship with the Muppets watching him on his TV growing up, 
and um, he eventually gets to be a part of the show, the Muppets Telethon. They have to put on to raise money to save the theater. And it's revealed uh, that he has a talent for whistling. What did you think of that moment? Well, you know... Because it shows him being panicked. He doesn't want to be on stage. They really got to convince him to come on stage because he's nervous. Well, I I did not go into that scene raw. Uh, I, I listened to a, a number of movie podcasts, and one of the ones I listened to is Doug Loves Movies. And they they talked a lot about this movie, and Doug Benson was just kind of whistling. Whistling's his talent. So I knew that was going to happen. Mm. That being said, when I saw it, I, I really liked it. Like I, I, And I think, that, I think the thing that did it for me was the delicacy of the facial expressions as, as, he, as he whistled. Like I honestly felt that there was air coming out of that Muppet's mouth and he was, he was hitting those, those tones. That being said, uh, that's some damn fine whistling. Uh, and and let's not forget uh, Al Jolson uh, when he went through because pu- Al Jolson had been on stage for ages. Uh, uh, Al Jolson when he went through puberty and his voice started cracking, he would whistle instead of sing so that he could still perform, and and that went over pretty well. I think the whistling. I think I kind of agree with Doug Benson. It was sort of a letdown. I don't know what I was expecting, but I felt like it came out of nowhere. And if you rewatch the film and pay attention. Uh, uh, there's the montage when they're uh, restoring the Muppet Theater and cleaning stuff up. And the song they play is We Built This City on Rock and Roll. And <laughs> yeah. uh, you see a shot of um, Walter. He's whistling along to the song. And there's a there's we another know. scene where he's on a piano. I think he's playing Together Again or something from the Muppets Take Manhattan. And he whistles that too. Well, you know what I would have done... Uh, it, because because this is something that you don't that you don't normally see Muppets do. Had I had I been making this movie, I think I would have made his talent tap dancing. Yes, because yeah. you, you get to see his whole body very frequently in this film. You get to see a lot of motion in his legs. I thought that that would be a wonderful sequence, and and plus a Muppet tap dancing routine c- could be such a, an amazing and beautiful technical achievement. That's what, that's what I would have aimed for. That being said, I was satisfied. I think you're right. There's also a deleted scene involving the whistling where they get right to California and they uh, um, they do Hollywood Walk of Stars and they see, uh, I think it's like Steve Cordry is a Superman on the corner as a bum and he's asking them for money. And anyway, they, they go and try to get a taxi, go to the next place and uh, Walter whistles and all of a sudden five taxi cabs immediately show up. <laughs> and Gary's like, oh, that's weird. And so that's that's a neat way to kind of set it up that they kind of took out. But, um, yeah, I think tap dancing oh, individually of, would have been... Speaking of homeless guys, you know who else I love? Zach Galifianakis is Hobo Joe. They cut out some Hobo Joe material, too. It felt like I was missing some Hobo Joe when I saw this movie. There's a joke that I, they keep on showing the actors and the, the Muppeteers laughing while they're filming it. Where Hobo Joe has his classic hobo thing of a trash can on fire. At one point... And a bindle. At one point, a uh, a chicken pops out of that barrel and, and runs off. And they make, uh, they make a lot of chicken puns, a lot of chicken jokes. <laughs> and Zach Galifianakis is like, I don't get it. 
and like the hobo muppets keep on like repeating the joke over again i forget what it is it's something like oh that chicken's to go oh ho ho and he's like i don't get it (laughs) that's this situation's pretty clucked up it's things along those lines it's pretty funny my wife uh, had to rewind and watch that over and over again Material like that really, really laying an egg. <laughs> um, you get. Let's see, Miss Piggy. You get a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. That's a good way to put it. Uh, you know, Miss Piggy is separated from Kermit the Frog. I, I guess that means they're divorced. Well, it's unclear. Well, it's un- uh, the impression I got was that they're never really married. Even though it was a real priest on stage in the Muppets Take No, Manhattan. remember, that, that was a movie that the Muppets made. That wasn't what the Muppets actually did. I always thought of it as them actually getting married at that time, and that's why she's so coy and be like, oh, it's an actual priest. I didn't know, but I really did. We're actually getting married. But, um, yeah, I mean, when I saw it in the theater, there's a big speech Miss Piggy has where... You know, I've got to be my own woman. I can't be sitting around waiting for you and all this stuff. And after she said that scene, someone in the theater shouted out, You go, girl. You go, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And people clapped. Well, no, it's a good speech. Like, I love that the Miss Piggy Kermit relationship is played totally straight. It is. They have problems, and uh, like, like real relationships have. And it's... Um, you do wonder if they're going to get together again. So, I mean, when they do, and when they do, it's for that uh, rainbow connection done as a duet. It's um, really interesting. Also, oddly enough, on the soundtrack, there's a version of Rainbow Connection where it's just Kermit doing the whole song by himself and the Muppets join it at the, at the end. So, I don't know if they filmed different takes of that or if that's just for the soundtrack album. Well, no, remember, that's, that's what happens in the movie. More and more Muppets keep joining the... Joining the uh, song. Right, but in one of the cuts on the soundtrack... Uh, Kermit the Frog sings the Rainbow Connection song and Miss Piggy never joins in at all. Oh, okay. So I'm not... That's just a bonus in the soundtrack or or what, I'm not sure. Um, Fozzie Bear I has love... fart shoes. Oh, yeah, the fart, the fart shoes. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was so nervous when I saw that in the trailer because that's, that's so not the... Even though Muppets have talked about whoopee cushions before, that's so not the Muppet sense of humor. But I love how they make it the Muppet sense of humor. They introduce the fart shoes as part of just... It's just a really lame, hackneyed gag that that uh, Fozzie's trying to, to pull off. But then later, when Kermit you know has his, his requisite breakdown and all the Muppets are feeling dejected... Uh, Fozzie kind of sulks away, but he's still wearing the shoes. So the very sad moment is, is <laughs> sabotaged by the little fart noises as he walks away. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the the end of this film? You know, it talks about they have to raise the certain amount of dollars, and there's the telethon and everything. And, and they kidnap Jack Black and force, force him to host the Muppet Show. They do. And, you know, you see the money, they get very close to their goal, and then Tex uh, Richmond... Uh, cuts down a, a, a tower or flips a circuit breaker or something and that the amount goes down to zero. And uh, But then for it just seems to magically wrap itself up at the end. Well, it's it's not that it's it's magical. It's like you, the Muppets... For, for the Muppets to, to have a real meaningful victory, 
they have to be brought they have to be brought very very low and that's what having the money drop down to zero and having the telethon sabotage does it brings them to the point where where the muppets have lost and i love that the muppets fail but they fail gloriously and they fail with such love and dignity that you realize that that, that that failure is only the most minor of setbacks that they're back together again they're going to keep going. And then I like how there's a whole cheesy data sex machina where Tex Richmond suffers from severe head trauma, learns to laugh because of brain damage, and then gives them back their theater. I would have liked some more scenes of closure with Tex Richmond, yeah. Uh, I mean, there is there is a an, an ending slightly different that was filmed, but it's not as a deleted scene on the DVD and Blu-ray where, uh, you know, they're trying to meet their goal or something like, like a penny short and Tex Richmond is like, ha ha, you don't have enough. The theater is still mine. And then Statler and Waldorf decide to throw in the last penny or the last hundred bucks or whatever to get him to reach that's the goal. Cute. But that's not what they went with. Um, it's very, gotta have it, something. Yeah, to it's very Deus ex machina either way. And, but it does give them a nice chance at the end for reprise the, uh, opening number. Yeah, and then of course they they transition into uh, Manamana after Gary finally uh, mans up and asks Mary and proposes to Mary. Uh, oh, and and that's that's the other thing about the Tex Richmond brain damage change of heart. It happens during the closing credits, so it doesn't spoil the ending of the movie. It's kind of a background bit of business. Yeah, I can I easily see some people missing it if they're not paying attention. Um, so I guess we have a, a little bit of time to talk about some of those deleted scenes on the Muppets, if you're interested. <laughs> so originally, oh, what do you, oh, actually, what did you think of the kind of what did you think of the, of the metafictional humor in this movie, such as traveling by map or uh, or or like the the Rolodex, the Muppet Rolodex, which has like Sandy Duncan, which has like Sandy Duncan in it, the, and Steve Martin. The traveling by map, I think, was a bit cheesy. I didn't mind that that's what they used to get to Paris, but I was a bit annoyed in the end for the uh, Jason Segel and Amy Adams to get back to the theater so quickly. They had to, they said, oh, we got here in time because we went by map. But, but they've already established that that's how things work in this movie. It's it's perfect. I don't know. That was a bit, that was a bit cheesy. That's not my favorite. But I, I do like a lot of the other meta stuff in the movie. That just wasn't my favorite gag. Um, so, you know... A, a lot of the deleted scenes on there, uh, at least what's provided on the DVD and Blu-ray, deal with um, the Muppets are trying to get a celebrity to be on their telethon, and so the Muppets stage a fake Oscars ceremony, and they have Ricky Gervais, Billy Crystal, and Kathy Griffin all, and uh, and there's a great scene, Ricky Gervais is in a limo, and he's calling, talking to his agent, and he's like, yeah, I know, I get this call out of the blue, they're giving me an honorary Oscar you know, maybe it's for a night at the museum, but they wouldn't. I don't think they'd give me an Oscar for appearing for two minutes in a children's film. And then Ricky Gervais leans towards the camera and winks. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And they have Billy Crystal, they have Kathy Griffin, and Kathy Griffin was also, you know, in Muppets in Space. And they're all very upset that they're giving these, like, fake awards that look nothing at all like the Oscars. And the Muppets all get arrested. And uh, Wanda Sykes is the cop uh, that puts him in jail. 
and Danny Trejo is in jail with him too, and some of the scenes in the train. I heard Danny Trejo was yeah, in the so, movie. I saw him in the credits, and it was like blowing my mind. Where is he? And then, so, given that this is the last uh, show on the Muppets we're doing, as opposed, you know, uh, not including next week's uh, spinoff episode, let's go through all the Muppet movies really quick and rate them out of five stars. Okay. Uh, the Muppet movie. I give it four out of five stars. I think has probably some of the best music out of any of the Muppet movies. I think the pace drags a little bit with the subplot about the frog leg uh, and on top, on top entrepreneur chasing Kermit around. But uh, it's still a classic, one of the better ones, the Muppet movie, four out of five stars. I'm going to give it four and a half. Uh, I... I I never quite enjoy the I never really enjoy the climax of the Muppet movie, but everything else just pushes all the right buttons. The Great Muppet Caper, I give it two stars out of five. I don't think it's as funny as the other ones. It has less celebrity cameos, and other than Happiness Hotel and Charles Grodin, I just didn't enjoy it very much. I'm I'm going to give it a full five. There's nothing in the Great Muppet Caper I don't like. Uh, Muppet Safe Manhattan. Although, as far as the plot goes and with the cameos, it almost feels like a retread of the Muppet movie. I will give it four and a half out of five. I really like it as a kid. I really like it now. I have a soft spot for the film. And I think uh, Together Again and Somebody's Getting Married are great songs. It has a real nice pacing to it. A lot of good jokes. I'm... I'm going to give it the full five. Uh, one, because it's very entertaining. Two, because I love its depiction of New York. And three, as a person who's trying to succeed in a creative field, that the movie just speaks to me. It really speaks to my, my current experience. The uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, starring Michael Caine as Scrooge, I gave this one three and a half, I think, out of five. It, it's faithful to the story in a lot of ways with the dialogue and stuff and uh, I like some of the music a good bit but I, uh, upon a rewatch I think the pacing is is a bit pokey but it is sort of the more literary out of the two um, Muppet uh, classic illustrated sort of tales movies they did yeah I'll, I'll, I'll hit that too I'm gonna, I'll say three and a half uh, as, as much as I do enjoy it Tonally, it is all over the place, yeah, and the 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 transition between between the tones is very uh, very jarring. Muppet Treasure Island, I will give a uh, three out of five stars. I really like Tim Curry as Long John Silver. I don't like the music in this one very much, and I think it um, could have had more celebrity cameos. I don't know. It looks a little bit cheap. I think it's just missing a little something. I'm gonna give it a four. I really, really enjoy it, but but looking back back at it, like I I just occurred to me, I always forget that there's a kid in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um. So that just leaves the Muppets, right? No, Muppets from Space. Uh, Muppets I'm sorry, from space. I almost forgot about it. I would give Muppets from Space uh, two and a half out of five. I think I like it slightly better than Great Muppet Caper, but um, aside from some good jokes. It's just uh, really weird. You just don't feel they were trying very hard, despite the fact that they were given a vast library of characters. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna give. I, I really like. I, I, 
I feel like I should give Muppets from Space four different ratings and then average them out. It's a movie I find very difficult to classify. Mm. Uh, uh, so I, I guess I will, I will rate it ambivalent. The parts that are that I like, I really, really like, but the parts that I don't, I could just ignore. Okay. I would have to say, uh, very good. Uh, the Muppets, 2011. I give it, um, I think five out of five. I, I, I rarely give that rating, but I just think it's really enjoyable and uh, hit me on a lot of levels I did not expect it to. Uh, I'm going to give it five out of five, and when I get the DVD, I bet I'm going to give it six out of five. Yeah, I think you'll really get a kick out of those deleted scenes on there. Uh, oh, yeah. Great. Well, why don't we move uh, from that? Act- actually, yes. can, I, can I say one last thing? Because this has really been been b- trying to get out of me all night. Sure. Uh, the okay, so a lot of shows that I used to watch when I was a kid are now available on on Netflix and on other streaming services. Yeah. And I've been I've been watching a lot of them, and 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 and, uh, and one thing I've realized. So much of what I watched when I was a kid was absolute crap, yep. and and looking back on that, I just I, I I feel it. Oh my god! So many people were wasting my time and telling me that I was being entertained when I was a kid, all the while trying to sell me something, whether it's uh, an ideology or an action figure or or a franchise. And one of the reasons the when I saw the Muppets that it hit me so deeply is that it it it, it made me realize that it, it's the one thing, it's the one piece of entertainment the Muppets, it's the one piece of entertainment televised entertainment from my childhood that I can now look back on and know in my heart wasn't wasting my time and wasn't trying to sell me something that it was just trying to to be entertaining and to to enrich the human spirit and i'm i'm tearing up a little bit right now but th- that's that's how important this is to me hmm very good um i think we should move on to pitch a sequel even though a sequel is actually coming out for the muppets so we can sue them if they take our idea <laughs> Sure, why not? Uh, Copyright us. Yeah, speaking of which, I'm trying to get a... Uh, thinking of a production name to put sequel cast stuff under and get it licensed and stuff. And we'll talk about that off mic. Um, <laughs> on the business cast. On the business cast. All about the business. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that business. <laughs> not the other business. It's that business. Mm. <laughs> not lady business, not dog business, but business. Not business. business. Not 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 a not frog business. No. Um. <laughs> not show no, business. No. Not show. Not show business. business. My business. My business. It's, it's everyone's business at the business cast. Mm. Can can we do a lounge act where we're just these two guys who talk like that? <laughs> oh, I think. Uh, and eventually, the ladies' sing, man would be sing about business at our door. But yeah. Now, I, I think um, if I was to pitch a sequel to this and or pitch a sequel game on SequelCast, I would make it a weird crossover with uh, the Muppets and the television show Mad Men. And you have that 1950s advertising thing, and you kind of spoof that 
with the Muppets somehow, where uh, there'd be something like Kermit the Frog would join the ad agency that Don Draper works at and have to deal with all these crazy affairs, and Kermit the Frog is like Don Draper's confidant in all of this. Maybe that's more of a sketch than an actual movie. But I think you just have one would, Muppet character and the rest of the cast is live action. Would uh, would Link Hogthrob play the part of John Hamm? Nope, nope. The rest would be the characters of the show playing their parts in live action. The only Muppet would be Kermit as the new partner, as the new uh, employee of the firm, and he works his way up the ranks. And uh, I think it would be really weird just to limit it so there's one Muppet in a Muppet movie. I don't think they'd really do that, but I think it'd be kind of fun to see. Yeah. Well, if I would pitch a sequel, I, I would call it the next Muppet movie. Mm. And the premise is... The Muppets are all back together. They, they've they had their big comeback moment with the telethon. So the next Muppet movie is about them making their next movie. And it's about all the creative differences they have on set as they're trying to make sort of a... A movie worthy of their of their uh, of their of the Muppets, and lots of people who have worked with the Muppets of the past would come on the movie playing themselves. For instance, Brett McKenzie would be in the movie playing himself, pitching songs to the Muppets, and like you, you get some cool improvising there. Uh, but while this is going on, I feel like this is sounding similar to another pitch idea. But while this is going on. Um, there, uh, there's sort of a, a producer's thing. There's a producer that's using the production of the Muppet movie to embezzle money from the studios, uh, from the studio. So when it's on, like with like an overblown special effects budget and ex- and ridiculously expensive 3D, uh, 3D transfer of the film or 3D update of the film, and uh, and his whole plan is if, if the embezzling gets undercovered. Uh, if, if the film if the film loses money, he can just disguise the loss of the money through the the bombing of the film, and he wants to make it bomb. So he's like pushing buttons and trying to get these creative differences to to tear them up apart. But if the movie is a success, uh, he want he wants to be in a position where he can make the Muppets take the fall for his crime. Oh, and there'd be lots of celebrity cam there'd be lots of cameos for famous actors and entertainers auditioning for the movie. So we're going to, uh, our last segment on Sequel Cast, What You're Watching. We're talking about a piece of media we've enjoyed over the past week. I will begin. Uh, recently, I was watching the movie Sister Act, which I had not seen in a long time. It just happened to be... Getting back in the habit. Back in the habit again, yeah. Uh, um, no, just the first one, the original Sister Act. And it happened to be on HBO Go uh, on demand. Uh, we don't always have an HBO subscription. We just do typically when like True Blood and Game of Thrones comes on, and then we cancel it when we're not using it. Because I think at least through Comcast, an HBO subscription is an additional twenty dollars a month. It's quite a lot for one channel. Um, but they have they have good programming. But we watched uh, my wife and I watched the Sister Act, and I think it held it up pretty well. I it, I totally forgot. The whole plot of the movie is the reason why Whoopi Goldberg's character becomes a nun is sort of like a witness protection program to keep her away from her mobster boyfriend. Um, Played by Harvey Keitel. And it does a thing where they take, uh, in the music in the movie, they take 60s Motown hits and kind of replace certain lyrics with a god uh, for a lot of the music. But it has a... It has a lot of heart to it. I, I thought it was an enjoyable, kind of light, fluffy movie. Uh, it's weird you have these kind of action scenes at the beginning and the end that that don't quite work. But 
Yeah, so it's so weird to have the threat of a mob hit hanging over that kind of feel-good comedy. It does, and you know now Sister Act has become a Broadway uh, musical, so which makes sense. What's uh, what have you been watching? Okay, so since I've spent about the past forty-five minutes talking about something I absolutely love, now I'm going to talk about something that I find absolutely frustrating. Okay, so. Um, I recently started, uh, started, uh, I recently finished reading the novel, uh, uh, Ravenor Returned by, uh, Dan Abnett. Uh, this was from an ominous, uh, ominous, uh, an omnibus edition of the Ravenor novels, which I picked up, uh, which they're, they're a Warhammer 40,000 novel series by Dan Abnett, which I, I originally picked up a few years ago. It was, uh, required reading. Uh, back when I was doing freelance writing for Fantasy Flight Games and the uh, Rogue Trader and Death Watch game lines. Um, I never finished the second book because I got kind of frustrated with it. Well, I finally finished reading the book, and I am now more frustrated with it than ever. And uh, I'm going to get this out of the way. I've been reading Dan Abnett's stuff since uh, the mid-'90s. I've read quite a bit of his material uh, in both books, short stories, Novels, short stories, comic books that he's written, and I respect the man. He's a he's a prolific author. Uh, and that that being said, his comics and his short stories they are very very good. He he spins some great act science fiction action adventure yarns in his short stories and comics. That being said, I've now read five of his novels. The man cannot write a novel. I feel like so much of my time has been wasted. This this sec this second book does Ravenor and his do Ravenor and his allies stop the ritual that's threatening to destroy the planet they're living on? No, they fucking don't. A demon shows up out of nowhere and kills the people doing the ritual, and that's not the first time it's happened. He has this terrible habit of setting up these huge conflicts and then having the conflicts resolved by something that neither the protagonists nor the antagonists control, which makes me wonder why the hell did I just read that novel? It's a deus ex machina, sounds like. Yeah, now admittedly, the, the, the demon existing had, already, had been set up earlier in the first two books, but the fact that the demon shows up and fucks up this ritual and effectively saves the day just completely comes out of nowhere, and and the guy that and like the, the 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 guy that the demon is possessing has absolutely no reason to be where he is when all this goes down, and more importantly, has no means to get to where he is when all this stuff goes down. That's uh, that sounds very unsatisfying. Like he just got cheated at the end of the book. I, yeah, and it's not the first time that happened. The uh, second, uh, the the second Eisenhorn novel, like it ends the same way. Uh, the, it, towards the end of the second Eisenhorn novel, uh, you know he he's been framed for a crime and he's trying to find the person responsible. Uh, so he goes into hiding, and the novel jumps ahead like two and a half years, and he's getting a cabal of people together to take out the person responsible. And while he's explaining his plan he gets a package from a character who was supposedly killed off in the opening of the book. And that character that we've never, that we haven't seen for 18 chapters has solved the mystery, found the person responsible and sets 
Eisenhorn on the right track, thus making Eisenhorn's just making Eisenhorn Eisenhorn pointless in his own story. And also making Eisenhorn's plan wrong because it means he's going after he was going planning to go after the wrong guy. I mean, so uh, next week on the sequel cast, uh, we'll be talking about um, you know Muppet spinoffs like the Muppet Show. I mean, it's kind of backwards in that these things kind of came before the th- the movies, but you know the Muppet Show and Muppet Babies, which was a spinoff of Muppet Takes Manhattan, uh, Jim Henson Hour, whatever sort of Muppet things we want to talk about that was on TV. Um, It'll be a Muppet grab Muppet bag. Grab bag, exactly. So, um, so check us out sequelcast.com or talk to us at facebook.com/sequelcast or send an email at sequelcast at gmail.com. For the sequel cast, this is Matt, and this is Thrasher. Saying, "Am I a man or a muppet? I'm a muppet man."